I'm gonna start with a story because that's always good. I want y'all to get to know me. It's a new year. Um, I love basketball. Basketball has been a huge part of my life since I was baby stepping. Basketball's been huge. One of my first memories actually is getting a little Toon Squad basketball. Wow, I forgot. I haven't talked about this. I used to carry around Space Jam, the the VHS, like a teddy bear. I took it with me like a teddy bear. That I got the VHS and it is worn out because I took that with me everywhere. I would wear a Michael Jordan jersey underneath my clothes every day, going to school. It was basketball was life. Um, ball is life, 24/7, 365. And <laughs> basketball was really important to me growing up. It, it, it shaped my social interactions. It shaped the way that I interacted with people. It was, it was uh, the way I connected with my family. Uh, it was so much of who I was. Um, yeah, it, it's like Jesus is really important, and then basketball is like two or three below that or something like that. Um, it's crazy. Uh, and I grew up in Toronto, Canada, for any of you that don't know that, me and Drake together. Um, <laughs> Best friends. No, we weren't. Um, I grew up in Toronto, but I moved from Toronto to, to Oregon, to Salem, Oregon, right before high school. Salem, let's go. Right before high school. It's the nation's capital. Right before high school, and I, um, <laughs> I, got, to, I got to Salem, and uh, my fresh, this is my freshman year of high school. This is my first year in high school. I'm in a new place, a uh, new country, a different coast. Uh, around people I've never met before in my life. I actually, we, we, we didn't have a home yet for the first uh, like half of the school year and we were living with my uncle, um, like honestly like half an hour, 45 minutes away from my high school. So I was traveling back and forth every single day. And, um, and, and the thing that I had that got me through was sports. And I started playing football for the first time and basketball for the first time in my life wasn't like, at the forefront of my athletic prowess or my social prowess. It was like, it was a game changer and life was very different for me. That being said, we go into my freshman year and all these things are happening in basketball. When I got to basketball, I thought it was gonna be like a sweet release. It was gonna be this place that I came in and felt very comfortable in. And it wasn't, it was really hard. My freshman year of basketball was so hard. I realized that I had not given it the time and attention that I had given it before. And it was a difficult season for me. Fast forward to my sophomore year. I show up uh, to tryouts for basketball, and um, I have the very first, at the very first tryout, that very first uh, practice, I play horribly. It's so bad. And I'm coming off a year that was really difficult for me, wasn't a good year. I had lots of problems with the coach, and we're coming into a brand new year, and the very first practice was just horrible. I put all this pressure on myself, had all these expectations I was trying to live up to, and I didn't fulfill them to the way that I wanted to. And I felt so much shame, so much guilt, like I had let myself down, and I didn't show up again. I didn't go back to tryouts the next day. This is my, like, this is like my least favorite story to tell. Um, I didn't show up to trials again. About a week later, the coach comes up to me and he says, hey, Chris, where, where were you at tryouts? I was looking for you. He probably should have came and found me. We're in the same school. But um, <laughs> he comes up to me and says, where were you? I didn't see you. And I was like, I gave some excuse. I don't know. And... Um, He's like, oh man, that's such a bummer. I was so excited for you to try out. I, I really, you would have made the team this year. I was so excited to see who you were and like see the way you could have performed this year uh, with me. And it, and it just crushed me because I had put up these expectations on myself, these very uncomfortable expectations on myself. 
And, and because I got in my own head, I excluded myself from something that could have been really awesome. I excluded myself from a whole year of the sport that I love. It was my decision. It was my own expectations that I put on myself that were very uncomfortable and that got the best of me. So we can put these expectations on ourselves. Y'all tracking? You can put these expectations on ourselves. And I don't want to get us to get confused because expectations can be a really good thing, right? Expectations can be great. Like if we expect, uh, if we expect to do really well in school, we expect that we are going to go whatever. Like expectations can be good. But when they become like the identity, the sole thing about us, the thing that defines us, the thing that's the most important about us, it can get really unhealthy, right? Does that make sense? And... Sometimes we put those expectations on ourselves, but sometimes, honestly, the world or other people put those expectations on us. And that can sometimes be a lot more uncomfortable than the expectations we put on ourselves, right? I got some stories. I'm full of them. Um, some might say I'm full of it. I say I'm full of them. Stories. Uh, <laughs> how many people here from Bellevue? Not a lot. Yes. Uh, Bellevue, Washington. I lived there for one year of my life. I was living with the host family. Um, and Bellevue is a more affluent community as far as um, oh, there's some sections of Bellevue that are very affluent. Let me just say that. Um, and so I lived in Bellevue. I lived in a very nice area of Bellevue. Um, it was one of the richest demographics in the country. And so I was very blessed to live with a family uh, for a year in Bellevue, and one day I needed some socks. I was gonna be at church and speak at church on Sunday, and I needed to get some dress socks. So I go to the local Macy's, and I'm just wearing like some basketball shorts, um, some Air Maxes, and like a white T-shirt, roll into Macy's, and um, I got my socks, I go to the checkout, and uh, the dude says to me, hey, uh, what team do you play for? And I was like, I was like, excuse me? <laughs> but team, uh, I mean, I played high school basketball. <laughs> He's like, no, no, like, you, you play sports around here, right? And I was like, nah, man, I, like, graduated from high school and college a while ago, man. I don't, I don't play any sports. He's like, oh, man, like, my son, my son, last week, Nate Robinson was in, and I didn't get his autograph. My son made sure that I had to ask every pro athlete that came in here if, if uh, I could get their autograph. And, like, I was like, oh, okay. Thanks. He's like, man, you look like a champion. Have a champion day. I was like, thank you. All right. And it's kind of funny, right? Like, it's kind of cool. Like, maybe I was, like, in shape and looking good and feeling like I was an athlete. I don't know. But most likely, the reality is in that neighborhood, most people that look like me um, are pro athletes. And his assumption, his expectation of me walking into his store was that, oh, the only way that this person's here is if he's a pro athlete. That's unfortunate, right? That was an interesting situation. That's a little lighthearted. I got heavier ones. Let's go. Um, <laughs> come with me on this journey. Uh, there was one time um, when I was in college, and I... Uh, I showed up to a party. It wasn't even a party. It was a kickback with some of my friends, some of my good friends. And um, 
They invite us over. They actually lived across the street from me and my roommate, so we roll over with a couple other friends. Uh, myself and a Native American dude and then a couple white guys, and we roll into this party, and we walk in, and I don't want to be stereotypical, but this is what happened. Three dudes that looked as if they most likely lived in a fraternity. Um, it's just, they just had that look. Um, <laughs> And there's me putting my own expectations on them. Uh, they approach me, come straight, walk up to me. I literally, like, I've just taken one step into this party, walk straight to me like, hey, man, you got some weed? And I was like, no. I don't. And I was just like, they didn't go to anybody else. They went to the one black dude. That's uncomfortable. I just assumed I had some weed on me. It gets worse. It gets worse. Um, I, another time, I went to another party. It's not like I party a lot, but <laughs> I like to have fun. Fun is fun. And um, I, uh, me and my, my, again, I go with my roommate. We show up late to this party, and I get there, and everyone's freaking out. Like, hey, man, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. And I'm like, hey, what? Like, we... What are you talking about? Like, there was a dude with a gun here earlier. We know it was you. You got to get out of here. I'm like, what? You for real? No, I just, I just got here. We had come from dinner with other people and just showed up for the first time that night. They just assumed. They automatically expected that if there was going to be someone with a gun at this party, it was going to be me. Sucks. That's uncomfortable. You know what I bet? I bet there's a lot of you in this room right now that are feeling uncomfortable as I talk about this. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry either. Sorry, I'm not sorry. <laughs> you guys, the uncomfortable expectations we have go far beyond just racial prejudices that happen, although that does happen a lot. And we put people in a box before we meet them. But it's not just racial prejudices as much as that's real. This ministry happens to be a couple of blocks from UW. You show up, you expect most of the students to be from UW. They're not. We got SBU. We got Seattle U. Yeah. We got community colleges. Yeah. Hey. North Stars, baby. Seattle Central. We got community college. We got places around here, right? We got students here that don't go to any university, don't go to any school right now. Yeah. Let's go, right? But we walk in here, we walk in here and we overwhelmingly expect, we overwhelmingly expect it to be UW, yeah. right? And we talk a lot about UW. There's nothing wrong with UW, I love UW. Let's go, go dogs, woof woof, whatever, right? Like, <laughs> it's great, it's great. But, but if, we just, if we just as a staff just treated this space and only expected UW students to be here, then half the people in this room would be excluded. Right? That's not good. That's not good. It's not just that. We, like I said, I've only hit on the racial prejudices that go on between majority black and white people. We got Hispanic people in the room. We got Asian people in the room. We got international students in the room. We got people from all over the world, which is awesome. I love it. Praise God. But that comes with a weight of expectation that we put on people when we see them. Right? 
We got LGBTQ plus people in the room. We have Greek men. We have Greek women. That comes with its own things. We have people that live in the dorms. We have people that don't live in the dorms. We have people that live in Christian housing. And you walk in here and there's all these expectations placed on you and it can be really uncomfortable. Am I right? Can I get a witness? Let's go. Right? It can be really uncomfortable. And that's just the expectations that other people put on you once there's a label on you. That doesn't even go into mention the expectations we put on ourselves. Get in that major. Make you the right friends. Party on Thursday and Friday. Go to church on Sunday. Show up at the inn on Tuesday. Repeat. Don't feel like you belong at any of those places. But we do it, and we have all these expectations. And it can be really uncomfortable. Y'all still with me? So what do we do with that? What do we do when the expectations are uncomfortable? More so, what do we do when we start to expect uncomfortable expectations? Whoa. Thank God we got Jesus. We're gonna get into the text and we're gonna look at the ways that Jesus interacted with the uncomfortable expectations of the time and see if there's anything we can learn from that. Oh, I didn't show the picture. There's a picture of me playing basketball. God, glory days. So strong. <laughs> As freshman year, it was so it was a long time ago. I won't say how many years ago. It was a while ago. Um, let's get into the text. <laughs> let's get that off of it. <laughs> so we, le we left off last week. Mike had been talking, and he talked about Jesus, and Jesus had been baptized, and the dove came down, and that was crazy. Oh, dove. And that dove sends him out immediately into the wilderness, and he's tempted, right? And so we find out right after that, temptation, Jesus is now walking around preaching and teaching. And the guy that baptized him, his name is John, this is where we pick up, he was put in prison. And Jesus went into Galilee, which is a region, which is like a, just an area, and he was proclaiming the good news of God. The good news. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God, the way that God wants the world to be, it has come. Repent and believe this good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said, come follow me. I will send you out and make you fisher for people. That's good. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee and went in the boat with the hired men, uh, Father's Ebony in the boat with the hired men, and they followed Jesus too. They went to this place called Capernaum. Right after, right after, these men start to follow Jesus. They go to this place called Capernaum. And it was the Sabbath, which just is a day of rest. It's a day of teaching, day of rest. And Jesus went into the synagogue, went into their church, went into the place of worship, and he began to teach. The people were amazed by his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as just a teacher of the law. He wasn't just someone that recited Scripture. He wasn't just someone that said something. He taught with authority. He taught people how to do things, how to be action people, how to move, how to live. It was different. And just then, there was a man in the church who was possessed by an impure spirit, who was possessed by a demon. And he cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? 
Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, be quiet and come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and he came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to unpure spirits and they obey him. The news about Jesus spread quickly all over the region of Galilee. There's a lot, there's a lot going in in those 14 verses, 14 or so verses. Uh, so we're gonna go through it real quick and we're gonna see the uncomfortable moments. First off, we walk up and we find Jesus interacting with these disciples, these fishermen. He interacts with the fishermen. He walks up and I wanna give you some context about this because the story on the surface just sounds like Jesus walked up to some random dudes and said, hey, follow me. And those random dudes were like, okay, I'm gonna drop my livelihood, how I get paid, leave my family, leave my wife, leave my kids, and I'm just gonna go with you. And that seems really weird when you just read it like that. But let me take you into the reality. Let me take you into the context. These fishermen in the Hebrew culture of the time, uh, boys growing up would study the Torah, which is the first couple books of the Bible that we have today. But in Jewish culture, that, was, that is like their Bible. And so they would study it and they would study it and, and they would go to class and they would go to school and they would get trained up. And the goal would be to see if, if a young Hebrew boy wanted to become a rabbi, become a teacher of the law, become someone in society who kind of led things and, and, and ran things and, and led the communities, become a leader of the community. And so young boys' aspirations would be to study the Torah, get to the point where they could become a rabbi, and, and that was like the goal. That was like it. That was the pinnacle. And so you had a choice. You could do that. And a lot of kids wanted to grow up to do that and be a rabbi. And what would happen is, as you would come, to, come of age, you have your bar mitzvah, and you would have to pass this test. And if you pass the test, you could continue on in training to become a rabbi, and you could be chosen by a rabbi. But if nobody chose you, or you didn't pass this test, then you had to go back and do the family trade, and you could no longer continue on training to be a rabbi. So all these men that Jesus goes to right here are now grown men in their professions that have trained to become rabbis, didn't make the cut, and have been told, sorry, this is your life now. You weren't good enough to continue on here. This is who you are. The world put expectations on them that they could be nothing more than fishermen, so they were fishermen. That's who the world said they were. And not only that, I bet you that's who they said they were. They probably love fishing. I know for a fact Peter did because we related that when he goes back to his base, when he kind of messes up, he goes and fishes. So they love being fishermen, but, but they, were, they were typecast. They were put in a box. And so when Jesus, this new rabbi, this new teacher who's coming around preaching and teaching across the country, comes up to these dudes in their boats and says, hey, come follow me, that would be very heavy, very powerful words that they had never been spoken, that had never been spoken to them or about them before in their lives. This is huge. This is, this is someone coming into their worlds and saying, hey, everything you thought you could be, I have so much more for you. Everything that the world tells you you are, I say you're that and more. Everything that, that holds you down, every lie that you believe about yourself, I don't think that's true. I think that there's truth for you. There's more for you. Jesus, with one statement, come follow me, flips their life upside down. It's crazy. 
And that's why they leave everything. They turn around and leave their lives behind them because Jesus is offering them a new way of thinking about themselves, a new way of thinking about the world around them and a new way to interact with it. And so they step into it fully. And what's crazy is that comes with all these expectations, right? It's, it's changed now. So they're thinking, all right, I got this. I, now I got this rabbi. I'm going to follow him. I got this teacher. And now there's a new set of expectations, right? Because like, like we found out, Jesus wasn't a normal rabbi. He taught differently than the other rabbis. So they're probably thinking it's going to be like a standard show. Well, then they show up at the temple and there's this dude. This is like the first, their first encounter. They just started following Jesus, first encounter, show up at the temple. It's like if Mike came up to you and was like, hey, um, I want you to be an intern, come with me. You show up on church on Sunday, and then there's like a demon-possessed man there. Crazy, right? Like, you don't expect that. At least in our culture, we don't expect that. And so, like, they show up, and there's this demon-possessed man. And what does Jesus do? The unexpected. Let me give you some more context. I'm a context nerd. Y'all still with me? There's a lot of teaching, but I love it. Um, so you're going to love it too. Uh, so this man, this demon-possessed man, what, the, way that, the way that the church would deal with demon-possessed men and people at the time, men and women at the time, would be that if you had a demon, if you were possessed, or if you had something wrong with you, an ailment or whatever, it meant that you spiritually weren't right. You weren't clean. It meant that you had done something to make yourself susceptible to illness, to sickness, uh, to maladies, or to demon possession. And so what rabbis would normally do at the time, if someone had demon possession, they would speak to the person that had it and say, try and find out everything that was wrong with them. Right? They would say, oh, you must have done something wrong. You must have made this thing happen to you. This is all your fault. You got to get yourself right and fix this. And Jesus doesn't do that at all. What does Jesus do? He speaks to the spirit. He speaks to the evil spirit and says, get out of this man. You do not belong here. You have no place here. Leave this man. And the spirit listens and leaves. And then Jesus interacts with the man. That blows away all the expectations of the time. So how does Jesus interact with uncomfortable expectations? He shatters them. He shatters those expectations. Jesus redeems, he restores, he reconciles. If you have expectations that are gonna be one way, he says, you know what? I got something more, I got something better. If they're positive expectations, he says, let's take that and we're gonna make it better. If they're negative expectations, we're gonna say, oh, let's flip that lie upside down and give you truth. If something bad has happened to you, like this demon-possessed man, he says, I see that this happened, this sucks. I'm entering into this with you. And now let's see the ways that we can slowly redeem, rebuild, restore who you are and move forward into life. He doesn't say, oh, this has happened to you. This is who you are. Well, you're there. Uh, give me someone better. He doesn't do that. He does not do that. He meets you right where you're at and then says, all these expectations you have for yourself, I got new ones for you. I got new expectations for you. And you know where those expectations come from? It's exactly what Mike talked about last week. When Jesus was baptized, a spirit came down like a dove and it said, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased before I'd done anything. And that is the truth. That's the good news. The beginning of this section of scripture said that Jesus came down and was preaching the good news, the gospel. What's that good news? That you are sons and daughters 
of the God of the universe who was chosen. And with you guys, he is well pleased. That's the good news. And he says, all the expectations you had before, this is the new one. I choose you, you're mine. So much so that I abandoned my place in heaven with God. I came down to be with you. And not only that, I died for you. And then I resurrected so that you could experience the life that I have. And that's the greatest miracle that could ever be done for every single one of you. So what is our response to that? That's exactly what Jesus calls the disciples into, that story. That's exactly what Jesus is calling each and every one of you into, that story. What's our response? At the very beginning of this scripture that we read, this is the line that was up there. Last slide, I think. He called people to repent and believe the good news. How many of you guys know the word repent? How many of you have positive thoughts that come to your mind when you hear the word repent. I do not. I'm going to tell you, this was the most unexpected part of writing this talk. I read this word, and literally the first thing I thought of was the people that stand outside of football games and hold up the signs and say, repent, or you're going to go to hell. You're going to burn in hell. That's literally the first thing I thought of when I saw the word repent. That's literally the first, word I, the first thing I thought of, and I was like, that is negative, and Jesus is walking around speaking repent, but he doesn't follow up, repent, you're gonna go to hell. He follows up, repent, believe in the good news. So what's Jesus calling us to repent from? Our unbelief. He's calling us to repent from this idea of expectations. Do you guys know what the word repent actually means? It means to turn around. It means to do a 180. It means I was facing this way, now I'm facing this way. So if you believe this one thing about yourself, you believe the lies, you believe the expectations that are holding you down, putting you in a box, trapping you, keeping you from moving forward, keeping you from moving into new and glorious life, don't believe that anymore. I got a new reality for you. Repent, turn around, believe this. That is our response to Jesus coming down and saying, follow me. That's a hard thing to do. How do we respond by that? What do we do? So many of us, I guarantee we're hearing this, we're like, well, I'm not worthy of that. Yeah, I can hear repent. I can hear that Jesus chose me. I can do this, that, that and the other thing. That's, it's hard. I, I hear you. You put it like this and it seems so simple. I get up here and say, oh, repent is just turning around. Okay, stop believing the lies, believe the truth. Sounds so simple. It's not that simple. What do we do? We gotta trust. We gotta step into this word called grace. Grace is an awesome thing. Grace says that there's something more for you. Grace says that I'm not done with you. I got more for you. Grace says that whatever happened before doesn't define you. Grace says that whatever people say about you doesn't define you. Grace says whatever you say about yourself doesn't define you. And even if you believe me or not, I still believe this for you. And that's enough. That's grace. We gotta step into that place. We gotta learn how to do that more and more. And that's what this community is all about. You can't do it on your own. And that's why Jesus said, come follow me. He didn't just say, here's the new truth about you. 
Go be on your way. He said, come follow me. So that's my question to you guys. How are you gonna respond? That's my question. Will you repent and start believing, believing, start the journey of believing the truth about yourselves? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for who you are, God. Thank you so much that your love is so much more than enough for us, God. Forgive us for the ways that we just, we don't believe it. Forgive us for the ways that because we don't believe it about ourselves, we put negative and unfair expectations on other people. God, help us to start believing the truth about ourselves so that we can start believing the truth about those around us as well. God, and as we continue to do that, we just pray your kingdom would come more and more. God, that your love would reign more and more, that healing would, be coming, would come more and more in this community, God, that grace would come more and more in this community, God, that you would break down walls, build up bridges, and bring together a glorious community that speaks to the world and shows them what real life with you, Jesus, can look like. We pray these things in your name. Amen.